Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and Martina Miller, who's a full-time maker running Naughty by Nature Designs. We've all encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision podcast for episode 76, where we're going to be doing our January book club review of Every Tool's a Hammer by Adam Savage. And we have a couple guests with us today that Yay. probably won't want to introduce themselves. They have a little stage fright. <laughs> a little bit. Do you guys we want have... to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I will. Okay, go for it, BJ. I'm BJ with Byron's Custom Woodworks. I don't know. What do you want me to say? How do I introduce myself? That's on you. Other than that, <laughs> <laughs> and you had you had to put me on the spot on this. Okay, why did you why did you decide to be part of the book club we started? Other than more incentive to actually start reading more books, this has been a book that I've wanted to read for a while since it came out, and really just to kind of get everybody else's opinion on the book to see what if everybody got the same thing I got out of it and see if I can maybe get something else from somebody else that I didn't get from the book. Well, I guarantee that Tracy has more notes than everybody. Only two pages. That's not very many. Uh, that's more than me. I think I had three lines. <laughs> Lordy. I have one quote that I pulled out that I want to grab the book right now so I could pull it and you say it verbatim. Do you want to introduce yourself, Tracy? Sure. Hi, I am Tracy Hayfley with HSB Woodworks. Um, and I was, kind of like BJ said, wanted an opportunity to have discussion on a book. I mean, typically I read by myself and don't ever get an opportunity to kind of talk through some of the stuff. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. So for everyone that listens, Tracy that's on with us right now is usually the one that uh, does a little CYA for us and takes notes for us when she's listening and will remind us of episode topics. We usually give her a little shout out. We told her she's going to have to get some producer cred now because she keeps us on our toes and listens way better than we do and reminds us a week or sometimes two weeks later of what we talked about because we never remember what we say. Well, we're also present when we do the recording, so half the time I don't listen to it again after it's done. Right. <laughs> Let's be honest. She makes us look good in her stories because she pulls quotes from stuff we say. She pulled, she pulled one today. I'm and I was practicing. Yeah, she's apparently I said it was going to be a game changer. I was like, what's going to be a game changer? <laughs> I don't remember half the things she says are quoted. She gets some good ones of us, too. It makes us sound like we know what we're doing, so I appreciate it. So do you want to try to jump in and actually be on topic right away? It's up to you, dude. I mean, I feel like we can make this go for an hour for sure, having dialogue, because I think stuff we learned will get, tie into what we're incorporating into our shops and everything. Yeah. So like you mentioned... The book was Every Tool's a Hammer. I guess the reason it was picked was I really wanted to read it. And it seemed like a few other people wanted to read it. And then we just kind of made the executive decision that that's where we were going to start. I liked it. 
Yeah, I think it, I mean, I'm going to be honest and I finished reading it today. So, um, it's a, but it's a different genre of what I'm used to reading. So I think that's what I had a hard time getting into. Not that there wasn't helpful knowledge in there. There was definitely helpful stuff, but because it wasn't like my normal, like reading for pleasure thing, it felt like an assignment. And then, you know, I'm such a slacker that it took everything in me. So it was like, oh, I've procrastinated to the last minute. So today we have to record and talk about it. Let me finish reading it. So, but it was... (laughs) There was definitely beneficial things that I've learned from it. We did kind of make it an assignment inadvertently. Right. I don't, well, I do work well under pressure. So I think because I knew I had to have it done today, that's why I waited so long. Maybe assignments work better for you. That's probably it. I mean, me turning over that board to you, I think (laughs) I will get it turned over the day it's needed by the time you send it back. Like, that's how I like to work. So so that brings up the deadline part of the book. Yeah, I let's see let's see if I learned anything from that. Like you would think by now I would know to stop doing stuff, but you know, he talks about how you make things and it's never going to be good enough and you're going to find more efficient ways and I think I'm my own worst enemy in that sense. It's that I know like but I do give myself enough time to screw around which helps kind of <laughs> maybe or or makes it worse <laughs> depends on the day well since tracy has the most notes maybe we should let her go first she's never jumping on with us again oh she's gonna be like they made me run the whole show <laughs> right god this is too much pressure that's what you get for taking notes <laughs> right now it's just a conversation right technically you're just talking with us Yeah, I will admit that coming into um, reading this book, I had not watched his TV show. So I had seen maybe a couple of his YouTube videos. So I had really like no idea like what to expect with the book. But right away, I think even in the first chapter, there were some quotes that really like caught my eye. And so I stuck with it. Um, Some of his methodology, I don't think I'm going to be able to adapt. I know Trevor, you're a list guy, but I, I'm opposed. I, I don't know. I have something against lists. They just make me angry and, and want to not do whatever's listed on there. So <laughs> this coming from the person that writes pages of notes. <laughs> I know it's, it's crazy. It's like, I like to remind myself of stuff, but like, I feel like if someone gives me like a task list or I give myself a task list, it's too much. I, I don't like the constraint of that. And I know I probably should move away from that but right now yeah um, that's where i'm at with it but i really really did enjoy the book i thought there was a lot of good takeaways even if you're not in the maker space i think there was i don't know if you'd read it if you weren't in the maker space but i thought there was definitely like an overall good message that he presented he is definitely a different style of maker than i am like this he like eats breathes and sleeps making like and that it actually reminds me a lot of trevor because it's like i saw this movie and now i want to make this component from this movie so i can have my own thing and how he talks about legos all the time but i think that's just like it's nice to read that someone else has a different perspective of being able to look at things and want to tinker with them like, I think I have the mindset of I look at something and I can build that and I could build it better. And he's like, I want to make that exact thing because that 
touched me at this point in my life and helped me evolve into the human that I am. Like it's, he sees different things in life that he wants to make than I think I see. Like I see like practical items and he sees like toys and is still like attached to his youth in that way, which is cool, but it's just a totally different type of, it reminds me like of Bob Claggett from, I like to make stuff like that kind of like, I'm going to go make a lightsaber now because I can. I think the part of that that stuck with me was not just that he wanted to replicate it, but that he wanted to replicate it to the actual thing. Again and again and again. Like dimension by dimension, nothing altering from the original. Which is cool, but I just like, I don't think I've ever been in a place where I'm like, I want to make that, something like that. Like I have, but I haven't wanted to do it like in so much detail that it took me six years. There... (laughs) That stuff made me laugh when he was like, and four years later, I finally completed the project. And I see that happening now with my maker's journey where it's like I start a project and then you get so distracted and then you evolve as a maker and then you finally go back to it. And it's like, oh, man, good thing I've evolved because I wouldn't have been able to tackle this aspect a couple months ago. But the fact that it takes them so many years sometimes, it makes me fearful for my future as a maker of like how many half-assed projects am I going to end up with because... Life goes on and everything. And see, I, I equate that, so that, that whole maker, like we were talking about, you know, taking six plus years or just continuing on in a project. I look at that as our shops. Because that's one thing, our shops are always ever evolving. And as we learn new skills, as we figure out how things are going to work, that's, a pro- to me, that's my project. That, one, I hope will never be complete. But every year, I can look back over the years and see how my shop has changed. And that's one thing I got from him was he's had so many different shops over the years. And he even admits that the cave is still not what he wants. It's not complete. And it never will be. You know, I, I can't say I have a project other than my shop that I've spent that long on. Thing. No, I can't think of anything. But it's that's my take from it is something you know that part will never never stop as we continue our maker journey you know it'll it'll evolve you know just like you know trevor you're not just going to only have a laser forever you know you'll eventually you know be the king of makers with cnc and laser and he'll eventually have two lasers yeah two lasers hey i'm okay (laughs) with that (laughs) i had two at one point and then i sold one Um, that did hit a lot when he talked about his shop and shop organization and taking the time to clean every evening. That part, yeah. Yeah, that was big for me. Since we started the group chat about the the book club, someone mentioned that I've been trying to sweep every night. So I've been trying to do that before I even got to the part of the book because I was like, there really is no excuse to not take 10 minutes unless something like emergent happens at the end of the day where you have to drop everything and walk away. But just not walking into piles of sawdust the next morning because I still refuse to set up my desk collection like makes a huge difference in itself because... Like, then you go and you kick that, and then you have the big old mess, and then it's all over whatever work piece is drying and all of the above. So that, like, just taking the 10 minutes at the end of the day just to sweep the shop floor has made a huge difference in the past week already. Well, that and putting away tools or whatever you use, pencils, tape measures, whatever. Because I, for the life of me, spent 30 minutes looking for a utility knife the other day. I like that JT put a tile thing on his tape measure so he can find it in his shop from now on. <laughs> that, that I could relate with for sure. 
And then, but with Adam Savage saying he doesn't ha- like drawers, he likes all his stuff like visible so where you can see it. I have a heart. I don't know if I'm like that or not with his stuff being accessible. Like I can't, I don't know my style of how I like to keep the shop because I feel like I just jumped right into like, I'm going to do this full time now. And I feel like I've never become efficient with my workspace. So hearing his like, I like everything within reach and I like my, you know, three sets of everything. So depending where I'm at in the shop, like that kind of stuff makes sense. So it really did make me want to go out there and like reorganize and see what works or like be a little bit more self-aware of what would work for me and be more beneficial because I always lose stuff, but I don't want to go and get a little tile thing for my tape measure. Like I just want to be more organized. Yeah. What I did for myself is I went and bought an apron. I got one that's got like five or six pockets on it. When I walk into the shop, I put it on. And so I have, you know, tape measure, you have pencil, a little mini square, a box, a cutting blade. You know, I have tape measure, I have everything I need right there on my body. And so if I'm using a tape measure, I'm done. I drop it back in the pocket. So no matter what tool I'm at, I have my main tape measure. Now, granted, I went and bought these like $4 DeWalt magnetic tape measures and they're stuck to every tool. I bought like 10 of them and they're stuck to every magnetic surface in the shop. But it's nice because everything's right there. So I know all I got to do is reach at, you know, on my chest, I've got a pencil. I, I'm right there. And then when I'm done, at the end of the day, I take it off, hang it up on the hook, and I'm done. I don't have to, you know, my main go-to tools are always there. I'm never, because that's the biggest thing that frustrates me. And I will, I'll curse more than anything if I can't find a pencil or a tape measure. And Because I, I did the tile <laughs> thing. And after the third time of, okay, where's my phone so I can find the tile? I'm done. Like, I just, I went, it was like 40 bucks on Amazon for a really nice, you know, leather strap, you know, canvas apron. And it is, it's on me when I'm in the shop. And the added benefit of my clothes stay a lot cleaner. I don't have the the belly glue line anymore. I do have an apron and I was for a while really good at remembering to wear it. But I, I have terrible habits like of making stuff routine. So it's what I do every time. Just the, my trick that I had to do is it's on the door when I walk in the shop. It's I. Oh, it's literally right next to my door. <laughs> okay, never mind. Then I, I, I can't, like I can't help you. There. I, w- I can walk in and to the left, grab the apron, and to the right, turn on the light switch. The best is Tracy gave me a hard time because I never use my air filter. So I mounted the remote for the light switch, like or for the air filter right next to the light switch, thinking it'd be smart because I turn on the light switch and then turn on the air filter every day I was out there. And I did that how many months ago? And I still only remember like 40% of the time. Well, it's hang your apron right over next the to light it. switch. Huh? Hang your apron over the light switch. That's a good idea. Oh, like there's that little shelving unit in front of it. I wouldn't be able to, I would have to reconfigure. Make it happen. I mean, it's to the left. It's still, I'm still <laughs> passing it. You think that would be easy enough? <laughs> because I thought, man, this would be smart if I put it right next to the door to remember when I go in to put it on. I don't know how to help you with that one. I know. I'm just a mess. I'm just a mess. I will say that you're right, that my number one takeaway was the checklist part. And I like his method where he uses squares. And then it's either blank if it's not done, crosshatched like halfway if it's partially done, and then the way he checks it off is filling in the box instead of crossing it off the list. So he can see back 
and actually still read the stuff he crossed off. Because I used to just cross it off, and then I'd have, like, five things crossed off, one thing not crossed off, and then, like, five more things crossed off, and it all looked crossed off to me. So I would just skip the one that I hadn't done. So doing those little boxes, I've switched to that, and that has helped a lot. I know. Lists. See, I don't know. I'm, I'm too ADD for lists. That does happen to me at the grocery store. <laughs> it's mainly, like, because at my at work on my lunch break i'll look at it or i'll look at my email or whatever and if people want me to do a quote i'll draw a box and say do quote for so and so otherwise i completely forget like even if i leave the email unread i still forget so it was the way that i was able to remember to either quote a job or invoice a job or actually design it whatever it might be so i agree that lists are not for everybody I also agree that the level of detail he took into his list is a bit much. Because he would have, like, a even for, like, making a sign project, he'd probably have, like, 15 things on the list to check off. And I only have one, which is make it. <laughs> so I think it's just a matter of doing what is best for you. Well, and I, that was kind of, like... All throughout the book, there was some topics like the list being one and the way his shop is set up. I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that is what works for him. But it took him, I don't remember if he said how old he is, but I mean, it's been decades in the making. So at first I was kind of getting like frustrated thinking of my own situation and like, I hate lists and my shop is messy. But, you know, I haven't been doing this all that long. And I think a lot of us are in that same position. So you know, if we talk about this 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road, then it's probably going to be a different story. Like we're still, I think, evolving in what it is we're doing and how we're doing it. So even if we're not doing it exactly like him, as long as we're making forward progress to try and be either more efficient or more proficient, then that's a win in my book. Yeah, well, I think his is really sounds like organized chaos. So it's I don't think his way is the best way. But I guess that was, it's also reassuring to hear that it's taken him so long just to figure out that, like, that's the way he operates his his best, though. Well, if you ever watch his YouTube videos of his shop, it looks like controlled chaos. Right. Because he has that whole everything's out and you can see it everything, which I can't deal with. No, I, I can't hardly watch his videos because of that. Like, it just, it puts me on edge just seeing all that stuff in the background and I'm like, Oh my gosh, put that in cabinets and put it in drawers. And, and I understand his logic behind why he does it for him. But again, for me, that that would not work. Like I would prefer to have everything in its place and just whatever I'm working on on my workbench and everything else is put it's away. It's so funny because he doesn't like drawers and all I want is more drawers in my shop. 100%. And I have like a small tool chest. It has, I think it's like a nine drawer and then I have six on the wall of cabinets that I have. And I know what's in all of those drawers. Now I have my mobile assembly cart that's like eight foot by four foot. And I have that whole bottom shelf that I put tools on. I can't tell you what's on that. And that's out in the open and I could look at it all the time. Like I can tell you what's a little bit around the perimeter. But there's that whole inside portion of that. That's a good amount of square footage. I don't know what's in there. Until, like, I have to go search for that. So it's funny that I feel like he and I are complete opposite in that. Like, I every like I would totally do the foam inserts and everything in my drawers and do more drawers and less 
visible tools and then everything gets covered in dust yeah like that's more of a reason why i want more drawers because it's like it's so it makes it more messy and the more messy it gets like the more i start to shut down because it's too chaotic and then i don't know where to go from there i could see if you have like how i have the black cabinets in my shop behind me i could see if like you had stuff hanging all over the doors that when you open it it was all there and you could see it all when you needed to but then you could close it and not see it when you also didn't want to see it and there's things that i keep out that i use a lot just because taking it in and out constantly wastes a lot of time but i think it just depends on what you're using too for me i'm it's finding that happy medium because like i look at like david picciuto for making it mm-hmm. or make something his shop to me is so, it's so clean like there is there's nothing no tools out like to me that like if you're looking at the creative side of it you know i want to be able to walk out in my shop if i don't have a job to do if i just want to go make something i want that environment to kind of coach me into making something or to inspire me i think with with adam's shop that would be sensory overload yeah there's just way too much going on and and with me being ADD as bad as I am, I would never be able to stop. Like I couldn't focus on one thing, but then you look at these other shops like, you know, David Picciuto where it is, it's just clean and immaculate. And I mean, I've seen offices that aren't as, as organized as his shop. And it's like, to me that like, if I have to search for every single tool I need, because I like having those, you know, the things that you use every day, like I have blues on the wall. I have finishes on the wall, stuff that is a constant use that can be out but other stuff no put it in a drawer keep it hidden yeah but i mean there's there's still times that i can't find things which uh, that's going to happen regardless of whether it's out or put away oh yeah 100% that's how you get your steps in though yeah i mean there's only like 10 square feet i can actually walk in my shop right now anyway but mostly because machines are in the way Another maker had posted her like shop day the other day and so it tracked all her steps and then it was just like this web of lines like and it it was just complete chaos. That's what Tracy's talking about. We had joked like if we didn't spend all day looking for stuff in our stuff in our shop, like how organized would it look? And then like I bet you it looks like just like a freaking hot mess, like a little dust bunny of a little aerial view. And that's exactly what someone's thing looked like. And I was like, oh, that would be mine, too, because I can't find anything because it's freaking chaos all the time. (laughs) When I have a bad habit of I'll get like a shipment in of material or whatever, and I'll open the box, take the stuff out of the box, and then I'll leave the box thinking, oh, well, when I have to ship the next order, this box will come in handy. Nothing ever fits in the box ever so i don't know why i keep them and they take up the shop so i gotta get better about purging things i really don't need it's basically the equivalent of like scrap keeping but with boxes mine too like the concept of like just storing my hoarder stuff of like offcuts and everything Mm -hmm. like that is part of my big demise because 
even like if I see and see something and it's like, oh, I cut this perfect circle out. Like I can use that perfect circle on another project. Let me set that aside. It's taking up my whole wood shaper. I think I have eight or 10 discs or something like that of MDF that I'm probably never going to use. And MDF is so damn cheap. If I really needed that, I can go get it again. But no, because that like maker in me, it's like, oh no, that's still valuable. So his cardboard thing where it was like, when he was a child playing with mm-hmm. cardboard, like that one made sense. And it was like, this is like cheap and at your disposal and you can make it into whatever. Like, that's how I feel. Like the MDF thing is like the adult equivalent of cardboard. So I've actually done that with uh, the craft paper to do a sign. I will, if I have a sign that's bigger than the laser itself and I couldn't cut the placement template like I do normally, I will take craft paper, cut it in multiple sections, tape it to whatever I'm doing, and then that's my layout. Which is a cheap way to do it without having to measure. But, I mean, MDF, I I don't even try to save offcuts or parts of it. I just throw it out. Acrylic, however, I think I have tiny pieces everywhere. Yeah, that's, I mean, any little, like when I did um, all those charcuterie boards and I did the whole saw and cut out all those discs, I have all those because I might make them into something. I don't blame you. I mean, honestly, (laughs) why do I need 12 two-inch discs of walnut? Like, I could throw that away. I have full-on slabs in the shop right now. Because you can make a rolling pin. See? (laughs) I mean, think of something. And as soon as you decide to clean up and throw those away, you're going to have a need for Oh, guaranteed. Without a doubt. Exactly. That's that's like the, I think the worst part of the of being a maker is like, I might be able to use this one day. Yeah, that, that's, that was one of my, my goals for this year is to stop hoarding scrap wood. And I did at the beginning of the year, I cleaned out everything but hardwood. And I kid you not, the next day I was like, I need a two foot long two by four for this one thing. And it's like, well, it's now ashes in the burn pit uh, back. It's like, well, let me go buy it. Let me go spend another $3 at Home Depot for another, you know, two by four. And so now I have, you know, six foot of two by four that I will never, that I won't use for a year. Yeah. That tends to happen. And then you'll burn it and need it. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Most of what I save is acrylic just because I don't, I'm not a woodworker. I'm a fake woodworker. <laughs> so acrylic is probably what I have the most of in the shop other than MDF. Yeah, I don't think acrylic would make a good... Well, acrylic's expensive. That's like when I find walnut like that. Sometimes I'm paying $11 a board foot for that. I'm not throwing any of that away. Like that will all get used. So if you go by, I guess, well, if you went by like linear feet for a quarter inch piece of acrylic... One linear foot before shipping is usually like seven bucks. Wow. And you're talking a three quarter inch thick piece of hardwood. So if I if I tripled the thickness of that, you're looking at, you know, twenty one dollars for a foot of acrylic. Yeah, I can understand why you won't get rid of it. No, it's expensive. Which if I do a job when I quote it and it's gonna take I don't know. 60% of a sheet, but I have to buy the full two foot by three foot sheet. Cause you can certain suppliers, you can buy like 12 by 24 or 24 by 24 or whatever. 
So whatever I need to buy size-wise, I charge for that whole piece plus the shipping or whatever. The worst part is local places. You either have to buy the full 4 by 8 foot sheet, which you can get it cut down to smaller sheets, but you have to purchase the whole sheet. Or if you go to the other supplier that will cut it to size, I think they like almost double the cost for giving you a cut down size. So one's trying to rip you off and the other one wants you to buy the whole thing, which you may only need 12 inches by 24 inches. It's like, when are you going to use the rest of a sheet of orange or whatever? So sometimes it's, even though you're paying sometimes outrageous shipping prices, sometimes it's better to order it from an online supplier and just order what you need because you end up not having to store it. That's what I do with hardwood because if I spend, I've got a, a dealer here that if I spend $300, it's free, you know, free delivery, not free material well i mean also you were spending money to get it free that's about to say yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was like that's a great discount yeah <laughs> um and it's a I mean, round trip it's almost a two-hour round trip when i go out there plus i'm spending another hour and a half at the dealer just to get everything it's you know i can just call them up right now i can, I can call it tomorrow and they'll deliver it friday for free as long as i spend at least three hundred dollars in materials and there's times i will i'll spend you know, knowing that really I only need two hundred dollars worth of materials to save me, you know, half a day. I'll just I'll spend the extra and know, okay, I'm gonna have a little extra I'm gonna have an extra ten board feet of, you know, hickory and put in poplar just so I don't have to waste half my day. I'm gonna stop complaining about my fifteen minute drive yeah. to go get hardwoods then. Mine's <laughs> mine's like twenty, and that's yeah, you not haven't made. Well, I really, you know, I'm telling you, I'm becoming a recluse, so I have to like mentally prepare myself for that trip. But there's like nothing else ar- like around that spot. If it's like if they don't have what I need, then it's not like oh, this next spot I can go to is like five minutes away, and maybe they'll have it. Like if they don't have it, then it's like a jaunt like BJ's taking to go get his stuff. So Well, mine's like, if this place doesn't have it, I'm going to California or Utah. Like, there's there's one place, maybe two, but they're both right next to each other. So if one of them doesn't have it, they can order it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to drive to California for it. I mean, I, I can drive five minutes down the road and get Red Oak all day. But I'm not spending Home Depot's prices for Red Oak. Oh no, I wouldn't either. Well, I'm not because theirs is. It's like it's almost like it's twenty dollars a board foot for junk Red Oak, and it's like no. I mean, granted, I've got okay, fifteen minutes down the road, I've got Rockler, but still, their hardwood supply is appalling, and it again, it's overpriced. Yeah, I will say that like if it's a material I use a lot of, I don't mind buying like a full sheet of it or you know, quantity because I know I'm going to use it. It's usually like one-off things that you'll use once every couple of years. Like I still have material from a sign I made two years ago. And it's because it was a specialty acrylic that had to be made to order. And I had to order a minimum amount and I still haven't used the rest of it. But at least acrylic doesn't go bad over time. No, but I had to spend like... (laughs) I mean, Does it warp? I had to spend like $400 on it at the time. Yeah. Does it warp? No. And it's actually, most of it's UV, weatherproof, weather resistant. 
I liked what he talked about with purchasing tools and to basically start cheap because I feel like a lot of us have had to start cheap to be able to just get the tool for that job. But I like to start cheap so you know what to get for a good tool. Yeah. And then see how often you even use that cheap tool when it's like, oh, I think I'm going to I'm going to buy this tool. I'll use it all the time. There's some stuff where I I did that and I've never even opened it from its package. So that makes sense. Like, I thought that was good. Or even buying used or getting, like, asking your friends and family, like, if you have tools that I don't use. Like, that's a great way to start as a maker. Like, getting tools in your arsenal is just asking asking for hand-me-downs or going to, through Harbor Freight and using their ad. I tell people that all the time because my first set of tools, you know, my first miter saw, table saw, and band saw, there was a guy down the road that was doing the, he would do the pallet purchases from like Lowe's or Home Depot. Oh, yeah. And he was selling them for pennies on the dollar. So I walked in and I spent, I think I spent $150 for all three of those tools. Used them for a year. They were great. And then I sold them for what I paid for more than what I paid for them. Because I upgraded, you know, to a new, you know, I upgraded to a bigger table saw because that little bitty Ryobi, you know, table saw scares you half to death whenever you use it. But I, I made it work. And it's just because when I first started out, it was like I had no money. I didn't I wasn't gonna sit there and go, Well, let me take a thousand dollars out of my personal savings to go make money on something else. It's like, no, let me go spend as little as I have and I spent what I made on a project to buy tools. Told someone I could do something and then I was like looked at my wife and went, I need to go buy tools because I don't have the tools to do this project. Been there. Yeah, I think that's the problem too. Is I'll take on jobs and then I want it to look a certain way, and I don't have the means to do it, and I didn't account for that in a quote. So it's like I guess I have to spend my own money to be able to do this a certain way. When that's not even their expectation, it's like the problem with being like a perfectionist maker. Like you, you have it in your head already, and I like that he says like instead of doing something like that, use the tools you have to be able to figure out how to obtain that goal with what you have instead. I'm like that's would be a nice reminder for myself more often. Like you probably have the means to do it. It may take a little bit longer, but you can do it with what you have. Yeah, that part was definitely more interesting. Like granted, I could definitely do what I do with a scroll saw. I would never in the world want to try. But it's like <clears throat> That was one of those things where way back when I started with the scroll saw, I decided that method was not for me because it took too long. And then I started, you know, buying that entry level tool to figure out what I liked or didn't like and then would upgrade over time. And even though you may spend more over the lifetime of having that tool, if you go, you know, one step at a time it's usually easier to afford going one step at a time like as much as i want to go out and buy the best of the best of everything it's just not feasible or like you said before you'll think you're going to use it all the time and you'll use it one time and then it's just sitting there which i mean i think we're all guilty of doing that with at least one thing Tracy's wheels are turning. I can see her trying to figure it out. Um, I know. If anyone wants a Miles Craft, the router <laughs> guide to make a circle, I've had that unopened for two years. Like, that's the one I'm 100% guilty of. Like, I will always make circles now that I have this. Never use it. 
I bought that, and I same thing, right? And I can't figure out how yeah, to mount it. So I'm just like, all right, it's going to go back in the box and back in the in the cabinet. So. Well, don't you have to drill a hole like in the middle of your piece to mount it? Well, I don't know. I didn't even get that far because I couldn't get it mounted to my router. You drill or put it nail. Because <laughs> I think that's how. Oh, I, was, I think you have to like tap a hole in your piece to secure it, and then you make your. So if you don't want to mar the surface, that kind of defeats the purpose of. Well, you do you do it on the bottom. Yeah, but if your stuff for some reason doesn't have a bottom, so say yeah. you have something that's double sided, you're kind of SOL. Yeah, I spent every time I went into Lowe's or Home Depot, I saw that that circle cutting jig. He's like, I'm gonna get one, and I actually had one in my hand. And this, uh, he could have been Gandalf for all I know. He had the beard. He's like, let me tell you a secret, son. I'm like, what? He goes, put that put that away. I'm gonna tell you how to make one for five dollars. Like, okay, and I. I had the stuff. He just told me to go get the 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 brown hardy board that we all put over our workbenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut a strip six inches wide. You know, cut a hole for the router bit and then a hole for the center. He goes, there you go. He goes, and you can cut one for whatever length you need. I'm like, well, thanks. You just saved me 50, 60 bucks. And yeah, he's I, right. You can. And I made one just to say that I made one and I've never used it. <laughs> And I'm like, man, I, I'm sure I need to find that guy and buy him a beer because he just saved me a lot of money. Yeah, because, well, I don't, I just do it on the CNC, which I guess sounds spoiled, but I end up doing more than one circle at a time. So it's easier just to put it on there oh, and yeah. have it programmed and walk away from it versus setting that thing up. And I think now after like trying to figure out how to be efficient, I would probably want a dedicated router for it. So I didn't have to take it on and off for my router all the time. So I wonder if we'll Lowe's will take it back two years later. Yeah. Like, I don't think he mentioned this in the book, but in ways he kind of like alluded to it, which was if you don't have an efficient way to do something, somebody probably does. So you can seek out that person. So in my case, like, actually, this is going to happen this week is I have a sign that's bigger than my laser. So I'm going to take it to my friend who just got his CNC machine because I do not want to hand cut with a jigsaw the backer for this sign and then flush trim it to multiple parts of templates because that's going to take probably three or four hours to do both the backers I need to do. And he can put it on a CNC and cut it in probably like 10 minutes. That's what I did for the... Cause I, you know, I got the quote for the um, that pegboard wall that I sent you all the picture of. Mm-hmm. And and that was a couple thousand holes that would have to be drilled. Yeah. And I'm not, and a guy down the road has a five by ten um like shop saber CNC. That's like what a, this guy has. <laughs> it's like a seventy something thousand dollar CNC and I'm like, Hey, here's what I need. What would you charge me to do it? He goes, Oh, it'll probably take about thirty, forty five minutes to do it. He goes, I'll just charge you a flat rate for an hour for hundred and fifty bucks. I'm like, dude, if I get the job I'll be there. Like that would save me. It. He yeah. did say, like I like how he talked about kind of picking the brains of other makers and then at the end of it he kind of referenced other makers he talked to at the end of the book but i feel like that's like us in instagram because you're watching other people work and the stuff they're posting and it's like you can either comment or message them and say like can you tell me a little bit more about your process for that and that's the easiest way because you can't necessarily find someone local but it's such like a cheater community i feel like in a good way because it's just like at your fingertips that you can ask for help whenever you need it yeah i will say like there's a few makers in town 
there's only like one or two that I actually talk to and hang out with. Most of the people I talk to are on Instagram. And most of the advice I get is from Instagram. It's rarely from people that are near me. So I think you're right that it's kind of like a, a, it's like a cheat sheet. Or like if you're playing a video game, it's like that book you could buy that gives you all the ways to beat levels. That's kind of what I feel like Instagram has become for Game Shark. getting information. It's like, hey, by the way, just post a question and you usually get an answer within 30, 40 minutes. So I have one quote on that that I, I copied down on that topic and it says, I didn't do the whole thing, but it says, that having the patience and humility to ask for help is a critical element in the successful execution of any project. And I think with, I mean, for me, with Instagram, I think it's great because typically the majority of people that I follow are woodworkers, so if I have a question, there's high probability that someone has either already done it or knows somebody who's done it. So rather than struggling and getting frustrated and like losing time and like faith in what abilities I do have it's easier for me just to reach out and say hey have you come across this or how do you do this? I'll also say that if you're on the receiving end which for me is just laser stuff because apparently you know that's all that I do the 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 questions sometimes I have answered hundreds of times so you also have, if you're on the receiving end, you also have to, I guess, be patient and understand that people probably didn't see you answer it the first hundred times because either it's buried in people's comments or it's buried in a post or it's a story that disappeared 24 hours after you posted it or whatever. Uh, but I have caught myself like, how many times do I have to answer this damn question? And then... <laughs> I got to remember, like, oh, yeah, I answered that in the story. It's gone already. So I will say that asking for help or giving help, I'm not against it. One thing he said in the book is there were some people in his industry that tried to guard everything as secret. And I know a lot of people that do that. And I agree with him that I don't understand why people are like, I can understand if it's like, something you invented or whatever. And it's like a trade secret to how you invented it. I could see guarding that. But when you're trying to guard, like how you engrave acrylic, like there's videos out there everywhere. There's forums out there everywhere with answers to this question. And these people are like, Oh, it's a guarded secret. Cause I worked so long to figure it out. I'm like, you didn't, if you worked that long to figure it out, you did it wrong because there's answers all over the internet that would have told you what to do. So I, I'm a proponent of sharing information and not trying to guard everything in the world. I'm a share, which I also get told that I share too much. So I just like, man, it's not impacting my livelihood. Me telling you how to do this and i'm sure there's an easier way than how i do things this is just how it works for me i'll tell you but like they're they're my ways are not that complex i feel like my mine are like the most like primitive woodworking techniques there are so they would be able to get there eventually i might as well just make it a little easier for them and tell them how i'm doing it 
Well, and half the time, if you make it easier for somebody or you are willing to answer their questions or willing to help them and you took time, there have been people that, like, I'll spend an hour helping or whatever through messages off and on. And then one day, like, a box will show up at my door with something random that they thought I'd appreciate because of helping them. Like, I would have never thought that people would do that either. Like, granted, you also have people that try to take advantage and get you to do their job for them. But by and large, I'd say like 95% of people are just trying to get help and there's no problem helping them. But that also leaves 5% of people that are, you know, just trying to get you to do everything for them. <laughs> like me. I've had people like probe me with so many questions about getting a sign made and then waited until like three hours later to tell me that they also make signs and just wanted to know how I did everything. It's like, that's kind of shitty. It's like, I have no problem answering questions, but at least tell me that up front. I keep getting epoxy questions later and I'm, or lately, sorry. And I'm like, dude, I really don't know what I'm doing. I haven't done more than like a four <laughs> ounce pour. And that four ounces is over my whole work piece. So I'm sorry. Like, here's who you can go to for answers. But it's really funny. I'm like, I haven't done a large scale pour. I can't help you. I mean, I've done epoxy one time and I kind of screwed it up. So I don't want to talk about my epoxy experience. We can blame me because I coached you through that one. <laughs> well, now that... I have the drum sander. I can do another epoxy project and have less work from a sanding standpoint. One of the things in the book that I found very interesting and totally agree with is that it is okay to fail and you should expect to fail. I think that's what I'm trying to pull right now. So Great minds. So, <laughs> so from his last chapter, the sweeping up everyday one, Facing yourself means taking responsibility for the fact that making for the fact and making peace with the reality that you build something real and substantive is to give up measure of control over your preconceptions of what you imagined you were going to make in the first place. Yeah. That's like my biggest like takeaway. Well, I think I think he even said somewhere in there that I know he said this for taking a pen and writing on a piece of paper was it's so permanent and then the perfectionist in him would basically stop him from ever starting because he could never get things down right in the first place and that one i found interesting because it's like you're so afraid that it's not going to turn out the way you expected that you just never started. And then of course the failures along the way, which I think, I, I think he was onto something that if you go into it, knowing that if it's the first time you're doing something, I almost that there was more talk of failure in the book. Yeah. Like, because it's kind like he did fail obviously, but he only really talks about one major failure of, his set that he made and then they like fired him from the set and he no longer has that friend. It almost makes it look like his life just like totally worked in his favor 
like, oh, I had one screw up. I learned from that. And then I got this killer job right after that. And then yeah. I got Mythbusters. And now I have Tested.com and all that stuff. And I wish there was a little bit more failure because I feel like that's something that would be more relatable and almost more inspiring to be like, okay, this guy is a total maker through and through. He's like world renowned. You know what I mean? Like Mythbusters is play, like plays in every country. They went on tour, all this stuff. But like dude had some downs and like screwed up. Like that would have been a little bit more relatable, I think. And he, he did yeah. talk about it a little bit. And I think he also, he might've been looking at the fact or, or playing to the fact that a lot of people, he, he hoped that a lot of people that were reading the book know who he is. They followed him. I mean, I've been watching yeah, him, that's true. you know, since I was a kid. I didn't, you know, tra- I was in the same boat as Tracy. I've never seen an episode of Mythbusters. I, mean, I, I can, I can honestly admit I, I grew up watching Mythbusters. I mean, Adam Savage has been an idol of mine for years and there's things I don't agree with that he does, but you can see like in, in looking at Mythbusters, I mean, the guy spent 15 years failing. I mean, that was what Mythbusters, myth, bleh, Mythbusters was. It was an episode of failures until they finally achieved that final goal. And he made it look fun. And that's what I always got from it was, yeah, you can fail, but as long as it's an epic failure, and granted, in some things that we do, an epic failure could be a really bad day. You know, last week we want us to set a laser on fire or, you know, have something come through a table saw that shouldn't go through a table saw. But when you're looking at just minor failures, like it's going to happen. And he made it look, he, he kind of just portrayed that like, Hey, if, if you fail, you fail, but you get up and you, you dust yourself off, you reevaluate the plan, you adjust the plan and you go from there. This stuff's going to happen. I do think that, like you said, Martina, like there was his one big failure and then his life like turned to 180 and it was perfect. And he did mention like, you know, things might happen on the set and they'd have to pull an all nighter. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, if that was your only like, which granted his big failure was a major failure. Cause he, you know, cost the production, the whole thing and lost a friend and everything else. Like, I can't say that I've screwed up so bad in making that I lost a friend, but I do agree that it would have been good to know if there were other failures that were maybe like minor to him, but are the equivalent of like what we feel are major, even when they may not be major. Yeah. Just something that like he overcame and was like a pivotal moment in like the way he changed his perspective or the way he did things, something like that. Yeah. Like how, I mean, he went to work, at, or at the ILM, I think is what it was called. ILM. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, taking a portfolio and actually like things he made and things like that, that's good to know. And it gave me more of an appreciation. Like if you're meeting with a client, like having a portfolio with you of things you've made would be good if you meet with clients, which most of mine is online. So I can just say, here's my website. But the the fact that like i don't know he he went into every project like knowing he could fail he went into every project expecting he would fail 
he had some good tips on like how to fail on the cheap. Like whether that was cardboard or foam board or a scale model of the real thing or whatever. Granted, most of us are not building a scale model of a table to go build a table or a scale model of a sign to go build a sign. But I do see where like if you're doing a project and you want to test different iterations out like foam or cardboard or whatever would be a good way to test it. And the one thing in the book that was kind of boring to me, and I think Martina was to you too, was the glue chapter and tape chapter or whatever that was. Why they like authorized that chapter to be published. It's like, it was out of nowhere for one. Like every, this is how my life's going. This is where my career's at. Let me tell you about the glue I like. Yeah. Okay. And now this is going to, I'm going to tell you how to organize your shop. Like, that whole thing like i don't understand that was a hard chapter to get through and i felt like because like i could pull like a little bit of something out of each chapter Mm -hmm. so i was like okay let me push through this so i can understand like there has to be some like this is the glue of my life like this is gonna be like you know what i mean some analogy or something and then there was never any of that so for anyone that's still reading or going to read this book just go ahead and skip the chapter on <laughs> screws and glue go ahead that's unnecessary i could see if you i could see if you were new to making and you've only ever used wood glue that you may not know ca glue existed or whatever or that you know you choose the glue for the material you're working with like wood glue doesn't work on acrylic i could see if you didn't know any of that it would have been helpful but if you've been making for a year or two i would say that that chapter is skippable yeah 100 percent. but yeah like it was funny because he'd mentioned a glue i'm like yeah i have that in the garage like (laughs) like there's a whole whole package (laughs) because he was like wood glue ca glue acrylic glue like Girl, I, I sell CA glue. <laughs> yeah, I do. Actually, there's a whole bunch behind me. I was surprised he didn't do anything about sanding because he actually did a, a talk that I watched and it was one of his rants was talking about sanding when he was running shops. You know, he would tell people, you know, you know, they'd be sanding. It's like, look, that sandpaper is dead. Grab another piece. When you, yeah. when you equate time to the cost of sandpaper, sandpaper is really cheap when you look at what it, the time it saves you. And he even mentions, he goes, if I ever write a book, I'm going to write a chapter about sanding and sandpaper. And I'm, I and expected I actually, that. Yeah, I went through the book going, okay, you know, all right, we got the glue chapter. Where's the sandpaper chapter? No sand. Okay, I was like, well, eh, whatever. I was, well, that's because he did glue instead. Yeah. they pro- And his editor probably went, I think they'll like glue more than sandpaper. Those editors dumb. Yeah. But, I mean, I think a lot of those points could have been conveyed in like tested.com or a YouTube video or something from like the glue chapter perspective. Like I think he could have just cut it and done a chapter on something else because there's no way he fit all of his knowledge into one book. Like I would like to see a book about like prop making from him. Cause he's got to know like all these tips and tricks to prop making and mold making and all this other stuff that would be really interesting. So hopefully he comes out with another book and it's about that and not, you know, tape and glue. His tape storage was ridiculous. 
Let's just say that. Like he had what? At easy a hundred rolls of tape. Yeah, he's a little, he took his little hoarder status to a whole other level. Although he did say in the book it's an abnormal amount of tape. So he did point it out. But it also got me thinking, like, flat storage for tape is not a bad thing if you're used to storing it on a pipe. It made me think about my tape storage, and I really, like, I have two accessible rolls of tape at all times. Mm -hmm. And they're on a hook, but they're little shorty hooks on my pegboard, and it's only one roll, and they're on opposite ends, so it's not that bad. Yeah. I have a shelf. Any other good snippets from the book that we didn't hit? I know, Tracy. Check your notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm checking. So, uh, I, yeah, I literally have two pages of notes. But the thing that I that I really, really liked that spoke to me was, so I'm going to read it. Bear with me. It says, sharing your work announces your presence. Being vocal about your achievements is an investment in yourself. It doesn't have to be big and showy. Don't be a blowhard. I say this for my own benefit as well. You don't need to be perfectly polished. Start a blog or an Instagram account. Go to cons, meetups, and exhibitions. Give yourself a name. Embrace the noun maker, painter, writer, designer by sharing with the world evidence that you've been living the verb, making, painting, writing, and designing. And I think that one stuck with me quite a bit, um, partly because of like the way things are presented on social media, right? That's, we're only putting our best things forward. And a lot of times, like, I take pictures all day when I'm in the shop, but I'll look at them and I think, oh, no, I'm not going to post that because I don't think it's good enough or whatever because I still don't feel like I'm where so-and-so is. And for a lot of us, I think we need to get out of our head about that and just say, this is what we are and this is who we are and this is what we do and it may not be to the level as someone else but that doesn't it shouldn't discount it um from our perspective i will say that there's a lot of people in the community that will help raise you up granted for like every 100 that are going to raise you up there's going to be one that's going to bring you down just because that's the way people are and i'll say that the longer you do it the more negative people you'll find i don't know why like i don't know if they just come out of the woodwork all of a sudden um or maybe it was when i started youtube that i just started noticing more more negativity because you're getting people that are not from the maker community that start seeing your work and some of them are just like negative people so if you make something and you share it and somebody doesn't like it or wants to voice that they don't like it, just be like, that's nice. I like it. So that's all that really matters. So on another episode of Famous in Fresno, I got stopped at the gym the the other day. (laughs) (laughs) And this woman says, I'm going to have, like, I follow you on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. I always comment on your stuff. This is my Instagram handle. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, cause I'm on my way out, like totally done. Um, and then she says, my husband's a contractor. So I show him all your work and he tells me that he can do it. I'm like, okay, have him do it then. Yeah. And then she was like, he, he says it's like, what you do is no big deal. I'm like, have him do it then. Like, yeah. I was just like, 
I don't even think you realize how freaking insulting you are right now. Yeah, like, that's pretty bad. It was just like, I don't, I could care less, have him do it. He's a contractor or whatever. And I was like, it's a completely different skill. And I was, and then it comes up in conversation. I was like, what kind of contractor is your husband? A masonry, masonry contractor? Pretty sure homie that lays bricks is not the same thing as cutting up hardwoods, but whatever. But I was just like, <laughs> do teach. Their, like, if your husband wants to make you a cutting board, go ahead. Like... But don't tell me, like, you want to order from me, but that it's like that whole Pinterest thing that we talk about all the time. It's like, I want you to make me this table for $10. But I was just like, these people, like, you're trying to compliment what I do, but then telling me what I do is easy and mimicable. So. Thank you, Pinterest. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Tell, Tell me how it goes when he makes you a cutting board. You guys ready to roll into the after show? Well, can I say, let me say one other thing that one of the biggest things that I took from the book and I am, and y'all that know me know I'm the worst at this. I say yes way too much. And for too cheap? No. (laughs) I fix that. I get told no because I'm not too cheap. I say yes to it and then give them a price. They say no. But I look at that kind of as a good thing. It's what helped me get to where I'm at because saying, yes, I can do something, even though knowing in the back of my mind, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I can do this. You know, it's that, it's kind of that jack of all trades mindset. You know, what's the saying? Jack of master of none, but sometimes Mm -hmm. better than a Mm -hmm. master of none. Master of none. Or master of one. Sorry. And I don't see that as a bad thing because you look at like his career and he can build anything. Like if you watch his YouTube videos, he builds a thousand different things. And I think in, in our line of work, you might, you know, you're not going to just, you know, I know myself, I'm not going to make a name just building tables, you know? So I need to know how to do other things. You know, the first time I got asked to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a river table. Yeah. It's like, you know. <laughs> well, it also gets um, mundane doing the same thing over and over again. Like if you were a master of just tables. The first time like, I got asked to make a cutting what? board, I was like, yeah, I'll make you a cutting board. Here's how much I'll charge for it. And I got home and I told my wife, it's like, hey, I'm going to make a cutting board. And she goes, do you know how to make a cutting board? I was like, no, I don't know how to make a cutting board. But I'm going to go get on YouTube and I'm going to find out how to make a cutting board. And I ruined three. <laughs> and I learned, and we still use one of those three because I was able to fix it, and it looks decently okay. I don't brag about it. But you learned. Well, then we're we're definitely going to take this to the after show because I want to know how only one was salvageable, how bad it was. So. Oh, I think my wife's calling me. I got to go. Yeah, that's what I want to know. <laughs> but that has to. That's that's paid for content right there. All right, ready for the after show? Yeah. Okay, we'll see you over there. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, head to www.makervisionpodcast.com where you can purchase merchandise or donate. You'll also be able to join the email list to stay up to date with the podcast. Find us on Instagram at makervisionpodcast or join the Facebook group Makervision Tribe. Did we lose Martina? I think we did. Oh no. You cut out for a good 10 15 seconds. Am I unfrozen now though? And now you're muted. I think Oh no. <laughs> we at least know it's not me this time. <laughs> you good? I'm I stayed muted cuz I don't know if it's not if it's working yet or not. It's like super laggy. It looks like you're back. It actually gave me a internet signal on Zoom of your 
connection and it was all yellow. Okay. I think it's working now. Um, I'm trying to find the quote that I wanted to read. The one, the one that I... Oh, I was like, you just keep disappearing. Well, while you're finding the quote... No, chat, 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 yeah, chat amongst yourselves. 